Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Every animal advocate and everyone I've been communicating with, what's on their mind right now is what's happening to the animals, the dogs and cats, the zoo animals, the farm animals, all animals in the war zones in Ukraine. Many individuals and groups are doing what they can to assist both in Ukraine and in the neighboring countries, which are accepting refugees and their pets. So we're always looking out for timely and factual information and especially ways we can help. I'm very pleased to welcome my dear friend, Chris DeRose, founder of Last Chance for Animals. Chris began Last Chance for Animals in 1984, and it has grown into one of the most effective and well-respected animal advocacy organizations around the world. And I'll tell you, and I don't say this often on the air, but Last Chance for Animals, or LCA, is one of my absolute favorite animal welfare organizations around. And Chris DeRose also happens to be one of my favorite people and animal welfare heroes of all time. Welcome to the program, Chris. Thank you very much, Lori. Appreciate it. I really appreciate what you said, too. Thank you. Chris, can you give us an overview of what's happening right now with the animals in Ukraine and neighboring countries? Well, let me say the Ukrainian president has been asking for months before the war started for support by the United States government. They just wouldn't be in a situation if they got support because he's not asking for boots on the ground. He's asking for just supplies so that they could fight. The animals are suffering for it as well as the people. I mean, it's a horrible situation over there. The Russian soldiers are going around just shooting civilians. A guy walking his dog gets killed. There's photographs of it online where the, the dog is still tethered to the owner and just just laying there next to the owner. And mm. but the owner's dead. Huh. And there's nothing. And unless somebody comes along and, and releases that dog, that dog is, is doomed to just stay there and watch his owner decompose. And it's a horrible situation. People are getting killed left and right. We've experienced this. 1939, and the Nazis went into Poland and invaded. Nobody did anything. Chamberlain was very passive about it and just just let it go. The world is being passive about this. We should not, not at all, stand by and watch another uh, repeat of history where does anybody think for a second that Putin is any different than Hitler? No, he's not. What he is going to do is going to go from one country to another. And it's just going to it's just going to be a chain reaction. And there's going to be no stopping him because the more we allow him to do and we're allowing it. It's that old saying bad people could do bad things, but can't get away with it if good people stop them. So this is this is where we come in. And the other countries Germany or Italy or France or Belgium, they're waiting for us. They can't make the first initial move because they don't have the power that the United States has. Yeah. We always wanted to be the power broker. We are the power broker. But now you got to do something about it. You've got to step in and you've got to make a point. You're not going to do this to the Ukraine, Hungary, Romania or any other country. You're just not doing it because... Uh, NATO and the rest of us are standing behind the United States that's going to stand up to you. 
And uh, if he sees that, he would have he backed down a long time ago. He's getting away with mass atrocity. I can't, this bothers me more than anything because it's history verbatim repeating itself. So, but the animals are suffering the worst for it. Yeah. Because they can't figure out where to go to hide and going down into uh, subways or something when the bombing starts. They are terrified, terrified, terrified. And, and, and they're getting blown to schmitherines. And uh, there's nothing worse than to see these animals. And we were looking at videos. We're looking at stuff of these animals coming in. It's horrible. And I got my wife here, Cindy, Cindy uh, Beal Rose. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Laurie. I'm also uh, the executive director of Last Chance for Animals. And yeah, it's a horrific situation. Thank you for joining us. I, not only yeah, not only are the animals terrified, like what Chris was saying, but they're they're starving, right, Cindy? There's so many different things happening to them. Um, you know, we we are raising money for a group over there called You Animals that is on the ground in Ukraine. They're a Ukrainian group. And they are doing all kinds of things over there. They are rescuing, they are supporting the shelters, they're providing food to the shelters and transportation to animals and people. They're reuniting owners with their pets. And we have raised money. And right now we're in a situation where we're trying to actually get that money to them because there's been blocks with the banking system in Ukraine and also the banking system in the U.S. We're going to figure it out. We're going to get them the support that we can that we've raised for them, but it's it's a tough situation. Even like we're finding right now, we want to help and raise money, which is the best thing we can do to help them right now to try to get it over there. It's it's that's also becoming challenging. Oh my goodness! The, How- the reason I, I I brought up that other stuff, um, you know, about the United States not stepping up to the plate, is because that's the core of the problem. You know, no matter what we do, helping the animals and stuff. That's, that's got to stop. The whole invasion has to stop because if not, it's just going to increase uh, incrementally. I mean, this is one time when the uh, people are suffering as much as the animals are suffering. We, we're here to talk about the animals. So, you know, but it, it just it, it boggles my mind because Ukrainian people are lovely people. So what I'm saying is we should be stepping up to the plate, not only directly to help the animals on the ground over there, but we should push our government to, to step in and do something about this. Give them, give them, give what uh, Ukraine, whatever they need to, to stop this. They got qualified soldiers. They just need equipment that would put an end to the war, put an end to aggression in other countries, because he's not going to stop in the Ukraine. He is definitely not stopping in the Ukraine. And people have got to see that. Do you know what's happening with the zoo animals or the farm animals? Well, I do know that, you know, you animals had helped rescue animals out of a zoo, main zoo in Ukraine. And um, even though, of course, they're against zoos, just like just like we are, all animal people, um, they, have, they put that aside, of course, because the most important thing is to rescue the animals. So they have been doing some work in that area as well. Yeah, and for the most part, a lot of these in, in different areas, the animals are starving to death, whether they be farm animals or they're... And, and, and again, from the bombings, and, the, and the, these animals are terrified and they're, they're lost. They don't know what to do. And all, all we can go by 
is what most people that are listening to this go by. And that is what we see on TV, the yeah. uh, courts and stuff that we, we research and we find out on, that's on the Internet, the different things. It's horrendous. It's horrendous. And we're sitting back on our laurels doing nothing about it or very little now. This is stuff that should have been done five, six, seven, eight weeks ago before the war. This is stuff that should have been done. You know, another thing I just wanted to mention about the animals over there, you know, like when we have sirens here in the U.S. and how that affects animals, especially dogs, you know, how they howl and stuff. I mean, people really don't think about the intense noise level over there, too. That is so frightening, not only to humans, but to animals. immensely. I mean, they have no idea like what's going on and then they lose their guardians and it's you know completely abandoned don't know where to go like chris said it's it's a really tough situation yeah you just think about our own situations with our own pets when there's thunder and loud noises like on the fourth of july how terrified they are and think about them now being abandoned or left alone and starving in addition to all the frightening noises exactly your website is lcanimal.org correct Cindy and Chris, thank you very much. Thank you, Lori, for doing what you're doing. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today. Do you ever wonder what you can do to be nicer to animals and to help them? Here are a few things you can do to show your appreciation to our furry friends. You can donate to or volunteer at your local animal shelter. Walking the dogs and playing with the cats is a meaningful way to make a difference in the lives of homeless animals in our shelters. You can be a foster parent if you have the extra time and space. Becoming a foster parent is a wonderful way to take some of the burden off our overcrowded shelters by giving an animal a loving place to live until a forever home is found. Increase your appreciation for wildlife by providing a welcoming space around your home for butterflies, hummingbirds, and other creatures. Also, by simply driving cautiously through areas populated by wildlife such as deer, you're acting with compassion. These are only a few ideas to encourage you to continue thinking about acting kindly towards animals. This message is sponsored by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit us at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And here are a few more ways to be kind to animals, beginning with this. Report suspected animal abuse or neglect. If you see an underfed dog or an animal left in a car on a hot day, report it right away. You can be saving a life. Try a vegetarian or even better, a vegan diet, even just beginning with one day a week. Decreasing and then eliminating your consumption of animals is probably the best way to show your appreciation for them and for the environment, too. Don't buy cosmetics or household products that have been tested on animals. That's easy these days, and there are apps to guide your purchases. And finally, Don't wear clothing made from animals. Say no to fur and leather, and then you can give up wool and silk as well. It's easier than you might imagine. This message is sponsored by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit us at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Your Animals Today fun facts for the day are about koalas. 
When early European settlers first encountered koalas in Australia, they thought the tree-climbing animals were bears or monkeys. Even today, people still incorrectly refer to koalas as koala bears. In fact, koalas, like kangaroos, are actually marsupials, which are also known as pouched mammals because the adult females have a marsupium, or pouch, where their young stay until fully developed. Koalas are only found in Australia, and they are one of that country's iconic symbols. Koalas have special physical characteristics that complement their tree-dwelling lifestyle, including their two opposable digits to grip branches and to pick the tasty eucalyptus leaves, their main form of nourishment. And these are your Animals Today fun facts for the day. Do you know what declawing is? People often mistakenly believe that declawing is a simple procedure that removes a cat's nails. Sadly, this is far from the truth because declawing is actually a painful surgery in which the last bone of each toe is amputated, including skin, tendons, and nerves. If performed on a person, it would be like amputating each finger at the last joint. Besides the immediate risk of surgery, like infection and bleeding, the pain cat's experience continues long after the surgery, preventing them from walking normally and leading to arthritis. Often, after declawing, cats will stop using their litter boxes, choosing carpet, beds, or piles of clothing instead. And without their claws, their first line of defense, many declawed cats will feel stressed and begin biting. Plus, if your cat happens to get outside, she'll need her claws to defend herself from other animals. Most people get their cats declawed to try to prevent unwanted scratching and damage to furniture. But scratching is a natural behavior that is important for cats. Declawed cats cannot stretch or knead normally. Why would anyone want to take that away from a cat? The bottom line is declawed cats can suffer lifelong discomfort and disability. It's not difficult to modify the scratching behaviors of a cat, such as having a few sturdy scratching posts around the house and using toys and catnip to encourage their use. Did you know that many countries have banned declawing? And many veterinarians in the U.S. refuse to perform the procedure because it is unnecessary and cruel. So those are the facts about declawing. There's just no reason to do this to your cats. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Check them out at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. Okay, so now, Peter, I have a little surprise for you. Okay, great. Lightning round quiz. Oh, boy. Remember we did this about a month ago? It, was, s- it was a surprise then, too, I you think. You scored like 50%. I gave you C minus. Yes. <laughs> Out okay. of sympathy. <laughs> Listeners are going to play along, see if they can do better than Peter. You know, I didn't tell you this, but my, my brother likes to play along, too, in Colorado. Oh. Yeah. He says he does better than I do. So let's see how he does on this one. Okay, okay. Rob. Me versus Rob and the world. And my 14-year-old nephew, Gabriel, is going to play along, oh, and he's really? going to score better than you as well. It's not that hard. Okay, ready, Rob? Ready, Gabriel? Here we go. What name is given to an adult female sheep? Oh, boy. And are you? Very good. Which English word derives from the ancient Greek words, meaning cycle or circle of little animals? Wow. Um, don't know. Zodiac. What kind of dog breed was Scooby-Doo? He was, oh boy, he was a hound. He was a Scooby-Doo, is, he still is, uh, a, don't know. 
<laughs> a Great Dane. Oh, really? What name is given to the small crustaceans that make up most of the diet of the blue whale? They are um, plankton? Krill. Krill, that's right, shrimp. In The Wizard of Oz, what was the name of Dorothy's little dog? That was Toto. What is the slowest animal in the world? Is a sloth. Very good, three-toed sloth. Jim Davis was the creator of a lazy and greedy cat that annoys his owner. What was the yep. cat's name? Garfield. Yep. What was the animal that starred in a comedy trio with Goofy and Mickey? Oh, what was the animal? Pluto. Donald Duck. Oh, okay. Do I get partial credit for Pluto? No, oh, why? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. What was Donald's fiance's name? Hmm. Uh, Daisy. Very good. Which bird is the universal symbol of peace? The dove. Right. Which large marine mammals are sometimes known as sea cows? Sea cows are manatees. Yes. In which country are lemurs found in nature? In Indonesia? Madagascar. Oh, yeah. Which intelligent medium-sized mammal native to North America has extremely dexterous front paws and a distinctive facial mask? The raccoon. Yes. Which farm animal comes out top in intelligence tests? The pig. Yep. What type of leaves does a koala use for food? Eucalyptus. That's correct. What kind of animals were Tom and Jerry in the Tom and Jerry cartoons? Oh, they were mouses. <laughs> no, is that wrong? You That's know? wrong. Okay. Tom was the cat. Jerry was a mouse. Oh, oh, did, oh. Did you not watch that? I, for some reason, I thought they were both mice as you were saying that question. But now, you know I what? There is a it, there was a cartoon with two mice. What wasn't there? Uh, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Okay. Which cat species is the third largest after the tiger and the lion? Tiger, lion, um, leopard? Jaguar. Jaguar. A female donkey is called a what? A, oh, I don't know. Jenny. Oh, you've already asked me that. I did. I'm the last that. lightning round and I'm, you got it wrong I'm again. I'm reviewing my answers. What kind of animals were Rocky and Bullwinkle in the Rocky and Bullwinkle okay. show? One of them, Bullwinkle was a moose. Very good. Rocky was... A raccoon? Like Rocky Raccoon in the Beatles song? Flying yeah, squirrel. squirrel. that's right. <laughs> what were the names of the two bears that lived in Jellystone Park? Mm, uh, Yogi. Yogi's one. And Boo-Boo, uh, something Boo -boo. like that? Boo-Boo, okay. yeah. good. <laughs> Alpacas are very similar to and often confused with which animals? With mm, llama? Llama is correct. A baby elephant is called what? Baby elephant. Hmm. A. Don't know. Calf. Oh, okay. Who chased the roadrunner in the cartoon? The coyote is after you. That's correct. What was the coyote's name? Wiley E. Yes. Wiley E. Wiley E. Coyote. Name the only mammals that can fly. Flying mammals are bats. That is correct. Yeah. The ragamuffin and ragdoll are breeds of which animal? How about, boy, uh, cats. Domestic cats is correct. I do not know my cat breeds. Don't care much for cat breeds. Well, you got this one right. Which animal's name means river horse in ancient Greek? Oh, river horse. Uh, don't know. I think I asked you this one before as well. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so you're not learning from your mistakes. Hippopotamus. Oh, yeah. The name of the tiger who bounces around and is with Winnie the Pooh. 
Tigger. Tigger's correct. Which type of whale possesses a large tusk from a protruding canine tooth? Narwhal. That's correct. How do you spell narwhal? N-A-R-W-A-L. N-A-R-W-H-A-L. What type of bird is Tweety Bird in the Warner Brothers cartoons? A parakeet. Yellow canary. (laughs) I knew that too. (laughs) No, you didn't. No, I knew that one. What was the name of the cat who liked to chase Tweety Bird? Sylvester. That is correct. Sylvester the cat. What is the name of the phobia that involves an abnormal fear of spiders? Arachnophobia. Yep. What food makes up nearly all of a giant panda's diet? Giant pandas eat bamboo. Right. True or false? Giant tortoises can live to well over 100 years. Oh, so true. Yep. What was the name of the dog in the Jetsons? Rastro? Astro. (laughs) Astro. Okay. But I think you're right. He did say Rastro. (laughs) What kind of dog was Astro? Oh, no idea. A Great Dane. Another Great Dane. Okay. Okay, I give you a... Better than C+, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, disregarding the fact that you did better on cartoon animals than on real-life animals, B-. B-, you're a tough grader. dog has bitten a person and the animal shelter in California is aware of this information, then the shelter must disclose this knowledge prior to allowing someone to adopt the dog. This is California's new dog bite law. Here are my thoughts about this and my reaction to the prior discussion we had with legal dog bite expert Ken Phillips. Dogs bite. Just because a dog has bitten someone doesn't necessarily mean that dog is vicious or a bad dog or a reason to destroy that dog. Dogs bite when they're protecting their property. Dogs bite trying to protect their owner. They can bite trying to protect themselves or their food or toys. They might bite when they're harassed or provoked. They can bite when they're frightened or scared. I've been bitten by dogs. I was bitten when I picked up an injured dog in the middle of the road. He was bleeding, he had broken bones, and he was scared and in pain. Is that a justified bite? You bet it was. I was bitten by my own dog when we were caught in a situation where my dog was trying to protect me. An unintended, inadvertent bite, I would call it, but it happens. My nephew was bitten by a dog while he was petting a dog. We later found out that the dog had a severe, untreated ear infection, and my nephew touched the dog on his sensitive, painful ear. Does that mean that dog's a bad dog? Should we punish that dog for hurting my nephew? I have a friend whose dog bit a young boy who jumped in the yard to retrieve his basketball. Dog was protecting his property. Do you think that's justified? Should the dog be punished for that? Legally speaking, would the dog be punished for that? So someone relinquishes their dog to the shelter and says, my dog bites. Now the shelter workers in California have to disclose to any potential adopter that this dog bites. Shelter workers should be honest if he or she knows something about the dog's history. They should disclose what they know. I absolutely agree with that. But is it really fair to the dog to simply say this dog has bitten someone without disclosing the circumstances behind that bite? I mean, by saying this dog bites, you automatically stigmatize that dog. 
some people would indeed equate a dog that bites to a vicious dog. If a shelter worker says to you, okay, before you adopt this dog, legally I need to tell you that this dog has bitten in the past. Most everyone, I would imagine, would not want to adopt that dog. If the shelter worker said to me, this dog is a bite history, I'd say, okay, dogs bite. What's the circumstances behind that bite? They would likely say, I don't know, because it's impossible for the truth to be known. But I'm not sure I'd want to adopt that dog either without knowing more information. And you know what happens to that dog? In all likelihood, that dog is deemed unadoptable. And in many U.S. shelters, the dog is destroyed. So, wow. We didn't even know the truth behind the bite, and we didn't even want to give that dog the benefit of the doubt, and yet the dog doesn't have a chance for a home, does he? If I'm told by the school principal that my child punched another kid, I need to know a little more information about what transpired. I don't think my child would just punch a kid for no reason. Was it justified? Maybe my child was being bullied, so he punched the bully. For a shelter to be forced by law to make public that a dog bites without any additional information just seems a little unfair. That's all I'm saying here. And it's impossible for the shelter workers to know the true facts surrounding a dog bite or if the dog even really bit someone. But now in two states, they are forced to pass along and make public any information told to them by anyone about a dog. Say someone relinquishes a dog to a shelter because they say this dog nipped their baby. Now that shelter worker says to a potential adopter, hey, this dog's a baby biter. You know that dog's never going to be adopted. If I heard this, my first thought would be, why is this dog, any dog, allowed to be in close proximity to a baby? And what happened? Who's the owner? And where was the owner? Perhaps this dog is not a good fit for this particular family with a baby. Should this one incident make it so the dog loses all chances of getting into a home and becoming part of someone's family? Should we destroy the dog because all we know is that we heard from someone that this dog nipped a baby? I don't know. Do we destroy dogs for nipping babies regardless of the owner's stupidity and the circumstances that led up to the bite? Now, from the perspective of the shelter workers... They know if they disclose to a potential adopter that a dog bites, it's very likely the dog will never get adopted. So depending on that shelter's policies, they might automatically deem that dog unadoptable or vicious, and the dog gets killed. I have known, and I've worked with many shelter staff, and despite what some people think, they don't enjoy killing dogs. Most of the shelter workers and rescue groups I've worked with try really hard to match a particular dog with the right kind of family. And that's the key here, isn't it? With any adoption of a dog or a cat to a new home and family, the shelter workers and rescue groups need to take a good history and interview the potential adopter, which not all shelters do. There are some shelters that will adopt out any dog to any person who wants that dog. I know a shelter that adopted an energetic, strong, big puppy who grew to be an 80-pound dog to a 91-year-old man who lives alone. You think that 90-year-old, who depends on a cane, by the way, will be able to adequately socialize and exercise the dog and offer the dog the stimulation that a puppy needs? 
And what will happen when this big, strong, energetic puppy accidentally hurts the man or pulls the man to the ground on a morning walk? Or what happens to the dog when the 91-year-old dies tomorrow? Not so smart of the shelter worker and very selfish of the man who wanted a puppy. I mean, what the hell was he thinking? So shelters need to ask questions. Do you live alone? Do you have other pets? Do you have kids? How old are your kids? Have you owned a dog before? If so, what happened to that dog? Did you get your prior dogs fixed or vaccinated? If not, why? Can you afford food for the dog? Where are you going to keep the dog? Tied up in the backyard or home all day while you're working? A lot of information about you and your lifestyle need to be known to assist in making a good match. Generally speaking, shelters and rescue groups want you to be happy with the animal you adopt from them. They want you to be happy with your new family member. They want it to be a lifelong loving home for the animal. They don't want you to return the dog back to them because it didn't work out or the dog wasn't the right fit. Every shelter and rescue group should have a dog adoption questionnaire and an an adoption process and spend a little time trying to make a good match. Unfortunately, many of them don't. Recently, Peter and I were walking at the street fair with one of our dogs, Skye. We got Skye from a shelter, and this was not from a no-kill shelter. And she's a pit bull. And yes, our shelters are overwhelmed with pit bulls. The shelter we obtained Skye from, more than 70% of the dogs there were pit bulls or pit bull mixes. Pretty much the rest of the dogs were chihuahuas. So yes, our shelters are overflowing with pits because they're being bred to death, literally. Because we are destroying these particular dogs because there's just too many of them. What a shame. What a shame we breed dogs. What a shame breeders exist. So had we not adopted Skye, she would likely have been killed by the shelter. Anyway, we're at the street fair and we came across a woman with a golden retriever. Oh, they're such nice dogs, aren't they? Much nicer than our vicious pit bulls. Well, this golden retriever was on a leash held by a woman, lunged toward and growled at our sky. It was obvious the dog wanted to go after Sky, and this woman almost lost hold of her leash when her dog nearly pulled her to the ground when he was lunging. Thankfully, nothing bad happened. This woman scolded her dog and was trying to control him as we quickly scooted in the other direction. And this was a crowded place, so there were many people who observed this incident. And people around us, and we especially, were relieved that what potentially could have been a horrible scene was not. Then a few people sort of chuckled and looked at us and made friendly, joking comments because to them, it was sort of a funny situation to see that a pit bull was almost attacked by a golden retriever because that's the mindset of most people. The pit bull is the bad dog and the golden is the good dog. Let's say the golden retriever did get loose from her owner and attacked our dog. Now there's a dog fight and inevitably someone, dog, human, someone is going to get hurt. So who's liable for any bodily damage either dog does to someone? And how many ways can the story be told and interpreted? I relinquish Skye back to the shelter, hypothetical here, of course, and I tell the shelter workers, my pit bull dog bit another dog, a golden retriever, but this golden instigated the entire fight. Do you think the shelter will believe my story? Now that shelter in California is legally obligated to tell the bite history of Skye to any potential adopter. 
Hey, before you adopt this pit bull, I need to tell you he has a bite history. Oh, what happened? A golden retriever bit this dog, so the pit bull bit him back. Will people believe that? Now, let's say the woman with the golden retriever relinquishes her dog to the shelter because the breeder who she purchased the dog from is not going to take that dog back because breeders don't do that. Breeders breed dogs for profit. And the hardworking shelters and rescue groups are the dumping grounds for unwanted dogs that breeders produce. So this woman takes her golden to the shelter and says, my dog was bitten by a pit bull. Aha! Now that's a believable story. How would you define a dangerous dog? Don't go away. We're going to talk about that when we come back. You're listening to Animals Today. Hi, it's Lori Kirshner from Animals Today, and here's your Animals Today Minute. Xylitol is a sweetener that is commonly used in sugar-free gum and candy, toothpaste, mouthwash, baked goods, and chewable vitamins. Xylitol is safe for humans, but can be extremely toxic to dogs. Luckily, cats do not seem to be interested in eating foods with xylitol. But in dogs, even small amounts of xylitol can cause hypoglycemia, that's low blood sugar, seizures, liver failure, and even death. The effects can appear as quickly as 10 minutes after ingestion. If your dog has eaten a xylitol-containing item, bring him or her to your veterinarian or emergency animal hospital immediately, even if there's no symptoms yet. He or she should be monitored there for 12 to 24 hours just to be safe. Also, please be aware that some nut butters now have xylitol as an added ingredient, so check your labels. And of course, don't let your dogs get at your chewing gum and mints. These are serious dangers, causing the FDA to release a consumer alert on the risks to dogs, which you can read at fda.gov consumer. And this is Dr. Lori Kirshner with your Animals Today Minute for the day. Hey, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner from Animals Today, and this is your Animals Today Minute for today. It's kitten season, and you may come across a litter of young kittens. Your first reaction will be to rescue them, thinking they've been abandoned. Stop. It's much more likely that the mother is off hunting for food or looking for a safer place to nest, or was just frightened by you. If the kittens are clearly not in distress and the nest is not in danger, leave them alone, for the mother will likely return. But check again in a couple of hours, and if they're still there, then please, yes, rescue them. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and that was your Animals Today Minute for the day. Welcome back to Animals Today. I do believe there are dogs that are dangerous. Is it the dog's fault the dog is dangerous or vicious? He or she wasn't born vicious because all dogs are good dogs. It's always the owner who made the dog into a bad dog or a vicious dog. But what's the definition of vicious anyway? Vicious might have its own legal definition. But it seems to me that the definition of vicious or dangerous is purely subjective, right? I mean, what I think is a vicious dog might be different than what you think is a vicious dog and different than the person who was attacked by a dog when she was a child thinks is a vicious dog. In addition, maybe that dog's only dangerous in a given situation or environment or around certain kinds of people. We had a wonderful dog, Paco. Paco didn't like people who spoke the Spanish language. 
Paco was not a dangerous dog. Paco was not a racist dog. But we just made sure that the Spanish language was not spoken around Paco. And I'm just assuming Paco was abused by a person who spoke Spanish. And that's the point. If you know a dog is not comfortable in a given situation or environment and or you do not approve of the dog's behavior in a given environment or around certain people or other dogs, you might have to make some adjustments in your lifestyle to keep your dog and your family and everyone around you safe and happy. It's not hard, maybe a little inconvenient, but so what? That's life and that's what you do. So we're talking about the definition of a dangerous dog, purely subjective. And you know, even shelters have their own definition of a dangerous dog. A lot of shelters have what's called temperament testing to determine if dogs are dangerous or vicious in certain situations. And other shelters don't use any sort of method of testing or evaluation. They might deem a dog vicious by the dog's bite history or whatever random indiscriminate means they choose. And not all shelter employees are experienced with dog behavior. And you might just be dealing with a scared dog who was recently picked up off the streets and who was lost from his home. And that dog might very well cower in the corner or growl at anyone who enters his kennel. Or maybe the dog was in an abusive situation and again might not